The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. Look with me at Romans chapter 5 and verses 1 through 5. This is God's word that is read in the hearing of God's people. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God abides forever by his grace and his mercy. May this his word be preached for you. Please be seated. In the, as a preacher and teacher of the Word of God, I know many of you do that to teach the Word and disciple. And you know, boy, do you have to be careful about what you say and how you say it um, because uh, it will be repeated. Uh, sometimes not repeated accurately, but sometimes you have to realize it. Um, part of the problem was the way you did not and were not careful enough in what you said. I had that experience early on. In uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, Lookout Valley uh, Bible Church, where I served the Lord as a student pastor uh, for a couple of years and uh, really learned so much and so blessed to have been there. I'm not sure about the trials of others through my presence, but, uh, but I was sure blessed and learned so many things. And some of them you learn by people modeling and mentoring, and some of them you learn by making your mistakes. And I made those mistakes, and one of them I will never forget. Uh, we were early on in that church being started, and um, I was early on as a um, young graduate of Covenant College and now part-time seminary, getting ready to go on to Westminster, but taking part-time in an independent seminary while I helped this church. And I stood to preach that morning from Philippians chapter 4. And one of the things that really bothered me is the way the chapter division fell. And so I was going to remind the people, I was going to remind the people that uh, that's not where the chapter, uh, that chapter divisions and verse um, uh, appointments, chapter and verse, was not in the original manuscript. In other words, when Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians, he didn't put the chapter headings in. He didn't put the verses in. That was done many, many years later. Uh, you see, what they were trying to do is be, they were trying to 
create some addresses so you could go look up text of Scripture. So they would divide it up with chapters and verses. Now, some of that makes perfectly sense when you go and look at these chapters and verses. But some of them you look at and you ask yourself, why in the world did you put the chapter division here? Well, guess what? Romans chapter 5 is one of those places. But I want to be careful how I say it because that morning I stood up and I said, I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 4, and I'm, but I'm going to start a little earlier because you know Philippians chapter 4 is not inspired. You can imagine the phone calls I received from elders that afternoon when I got home. Pastor, what do you... What do you mean that Philippians chapter 4 is not? I said, well, I meant the chapter heading. That's not what you said. You said Philippians chapter 4 was not inspired. I said, well, I meant that. And then I heard something that I'd already heard once before. Nobody leaves with what you meant to say. They leave with what they heard you say. So you have to be careful about what they hear you say. So let me be abundantly clear. Romans 5 is inspired. Oh, I love this text. We are in a treasure chest. Romans 5, 1 through 11. I mean a treasure chest. You don't have, you have no idea how much I have longed to get to Romans 5, 1 through 11. And now we are here. Praise the Lord. I am so glad that we are here. And uh, we're going to dig into it. But one of the things that is, con- uh, that I have consternation with is why they put, they made this a division at this point. Now, when I read the text, you probably are sitting there and knowing why uh, I have this consternation, why I feel confounded about it, because we started reading Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and what is the very first word that we read? Therefore. Therefore is the very first word we read. And, of course, you in Sunday school learned... Every time there's a therefore, you ask yourself, what is it there for? Very good. Well, let me go ahead and tell you what it's there for. Whenever you see a therefore, it's telling you what you're about to read cannot make full sense without understanding what went before it. What you're about to read is a consequence of what has been previously stated. Therefore, when you see a therefore, you've got to tell people what it's there for. And what it's there for is to tell you the result of what you have just been told. Does that make sense? No, but it was fun to say it that way. And so that's what it's there for. So let's take a look back at what it says. Now, remember, we've gotten to Romans 5, having started in Romans 1. Where Paul introduces himself, gives his credentials, tells of his desire he wants to be there, but he can't be there. So if I can't be there, what he calls plan B, which is his plan A, is I'm going to write to you what I want to preach. I'm eager to come and preach, and I'm unashamed to preach the gospel there, but I'm going to write about it to you. And this gospel that I'm unashamed of, there's two big deals on it you need to know about. It is the power of God, and it is the righteousness of God. Those are the two things I want you to know Romans 1 16 17 then for the rest of Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 he he brings us into the divine courtroom and we anticipate the day of the bema the day of the great judgment and that great judgment when all must appear before
before him. And those who are not in the book of life will hear the verdict that they are undone. But we are all born into this world as sinners. We're not born a blank slate. We're born sinners. And as sinners, he works us through chapters 1, 2, and 3 to tell us we are indicted. What is our indictment? Our indictment is that we are under sin. Therefore, we are under the wrath of God. And we are, and the indicted are under that indictment, and their condition is we're helpless and we're hopeless. We have a bad heart. We have a bad record. We have, we are dead in our sins. We are in sin and cannot save ourselves. We are spiritually dead and we are sinfully guilty and we are condemned before God. And therefore, we've got a bad record, got a bad heart. We got a bad record. We're helpless and we're hopeless. Aha. Now that's why we see why there are many dimensions of the gospel that are glorious. Now we see why he pulled out these two. They're powerful. The power of God can save the helpless. That we might be helpless, but God is not. And what is impossible with man is more than possible with God. It is achieved by God through His Son, Jesus, as He sends the Spirit of God, and you can be born again. And you not only have the power of God with the gospel unleashed, you've got the righteousness of God. So we who stand guilty can have the guilt and the shame wiped away, and the guilt and the shame wiped away in order that the righteousness of God can be put in its place. And we have been cleansed and clothed, cleansed by his blood and clothed with his righteousness. And that's what is brought before us. But then that begs the question, how in the world can this be done? How can, how, if I'm guilty, how can I get unguilty? If I'm condemned, how do I get innocent? If I am, if I am dead, how do I get alive? And that's where chapter four says, well, Here's, you get to learn something. We don't have anything to boast about. This is all of grace through faith. And the faith was a gift of grace in Christ, who was God's son, who, get, who was given by the father, who gave himself for you. It's all of grace. There is no boasting. The law, the law is there. The law can't save you. The law has no power to convert. The law has no power to confer. The law is the law to show you, first of all, that you're a sinner. Secondly, that you're sinful. Thirdly, that you need a savior. And that's what it does in your life. And then you can use it for discipleship. But it, as it shows you how to love the Lord your heart with all your heart, soul, and mind. So and that's where we get to the lawful use of the law. The evangelistic use of the law. Where we're shown that we're sinners. We're sinful. And we are incapable of saving ourselves. The discipleship use of the law. Where we're shown now that you love the Lord who first loved you. Here's how you love the Lord. And here's how you love others that are made in the image of God. How you love your neighbor as yourself. So now there, but the law, you can, the law has no power to save you and you have no power to use the law to save you. This is all of grace and thus the, the very first place in Romans chapter four and Rome, at the end of Romans three and chapter four where the reformers reached in. Can you imagine all of the corruption that was in the 16th century as the people, there's no way you could know you're, you're saved. What do you mean, know you're saved? You can't know you're saved. You can't be assured of salvation. I mean, you do the best you can. Now, you, you're saved by faith, but you've got to add some merit. You've got to add your merits. 
You got to add these. You got to do penance. You got to do this. You got to do that. There's all these things. And then when you die, you'll find out if it's good enough. And by the way, it probably won't be. Only the saints are really good enough. So that means you're going to have to take a detour. And that detour is a place called purgatory where you will get purged for however many years it's necessary or until somebody gives enough money to get you out. And then you can maybe get to heaven. You see how the reformers, they reached into this Romans 3 that says you're saved. Now listen to the prepositions. You're saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves. It was a gift of grace. By grace through faith in Christ. And that's how you're saved. So there's no room for boasting. Boasting is only for those who can work their way to heaven and none can. We boast in the Lord who came, now watch this, who came from heaven and did the work on the cross to save us. Then ascended back to heaven and he's working on us that he may now work through us until he finishes the work and he comes for us. We boast in the Lord. That's where we boast. But how in the world can God pull this off? How can it be possible? Well, the way God did this is God did this accounting deal. God came into this world by sending his son who goes to the cross and he takes our account our record upon himself. And then, having cleansed us. See, here's the question. If God will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, and I'm guilty, how do I get unguilty? How do I get unguilty? Well, the, what God does is he first gets you unguilty. How does he get you unguilty? Your sin record, he takes from you and places it on Jesus at the cross. And at the cross, Jesus then receives the wrath that you are under. And now is poured out upon him. And you're no longer under wrath. You are now under grace. Because of what he did for you. Praise God that shuts the gates of hell because God is just and he will not hold, he will not demand two payments for one sin. If Jesus paid for your sins as the people of God, then the gates of hell are shut. Jesus has won the victory and set you free from sins, from sins torments because he bore the wrath of God and declared it finished on the cross. Now, but pastor, how do I get to heaven? Because heaven's not for the forgiven. Heaven is for the righteous. You get to heaven. You get to heaven because of what Christ did for you on the cross in taking your guilt and shame away and then giving you the blessings of his perfect righteousness. He gave you his account. He lived the... He not, see, there's three things Jesus did for you. He lived a perfect life in thought, word, and deed. And you get his perfections to you. And he took your sins. So he had a perfect life, the righteousness of God. 
He died an atoning death to take away your sins from you. And then what happened? Now you see why the therefore. Would you go back from Romans 5.1? Would you go back just to the previous verse and kind of pretend like chapter 5 division? The division, just the division, is not there. Just the division. And go back and just feel how this would have read. Look at verse 23. But the words it will be counted to him was not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who, who, who's that talking about? Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses. Who delivered Jesus up? The Father. Who crushed the Son? The Father. An atoning death. This one who had lived a perfectly righteous life, who had no, who did not deserve to die this death, went to die this death in our place. So he was delivered up. Why? For us. For our trespasses. Now don't miss this. And he was raised for our justification. How does, how do the guilty get unguilty? Christ takes away their sin. How do the unrighteous get righteous? Christ gives you his righteousness. How do the condemned get innocent? Because Christ has made us not only forgiven, pardoned, but Christ has made us vindicated. Christ has made us innocent, not Condemnation, justification, not guilty, innocent. I remember when I first saw this, folks, it was like I got saved all over again. If you've ever been with me, you'll probably notice that whenever I share the gospel with someone and I ask them, is there any reason why you shouldn't? Here's the language I always use. Is there any reason why you shouldn't receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And the reason I do that, I, I never use the phrase, would you like to accept Jesus? Now, folks, I'm not down on the phrase. Please understand that. But let me tell you why I don't use it. I don't use the phrase, would you like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I prefer to use the John 1 text that says, to as many as received him, he gave the right to become the sons of God. And why? Because if they if they surrender and by faith and repentance put their trust in Christ alone, I love to take them to Ephesians and show them this. You have now been accepted in the beloved one. You are accepted in the righteousness of Christ. He made him who knew no sin to be your sin. He took your sin. And then he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that you might become the righteousness of God. You are wrapped in the robes of Christ's righteousness. And every time God looks at you, he sees the perfect righteousness of his son. You are accepted in the beloved one. I love to tell people that. And that's because Jesus has done something. Now, I'm going to get just a little bit technical, but it can be a blessing to you if you hang with me. All right. 
Jesus came in obedience to the Father to save us from our sins. There's two kinds of obediences that Jesus has to save us. He has active obedience and he has passive obedience. How, what is his passive obedience? He obeys the Father to go to the cross to pay for our sins. And he now, he didn't go out and sin for us. He, he lived a perfect life and he receives upon himself all of our sins. So that he can now receive upon himself in our place God's wrath. So that sins have been atoned for in Christ alone. You just sung it. The wrath of God was satisfied. Sins have been paid. God is both just and justifier of the lost. Then he's got an active obedience. And that means in thought, word, and deed, he never sinned. Tempted at every point like unto us, but never, never sinned in thought, word, or deed. So now we are wrapped in the perfect righteousness of Christ. Now, where does that lead you to? Well, that leads you to great assurance. I am not only forgiven, I am accepted. I am not only pardoned, not guilty, I am now innocent in the righteousness of Christ. One of the great, I'm reading right now, I'm, I just read this uh, just this last week. Um, I'm reading again the biography by Ned Stonehouse, Dr. Ned Stonehouse, on the life of uh, J. Gresham Machen. And J. Gresham Machen, uh, this warrior for the faith, this man who was standing uh, against all of the onslaughts of liberal Christianity, was indefatigable in terms of his, his desire to serve the Lord. He got a letter in, 1930, in 1936, he got a letter to come out to North Dakota in January of 1937. So he goes out there to preach. Can you imagine how cold it is? In North Dakota, his seminary brothers and colleagues begged him at Westminster, please don't go, please don't go. You're not in good health anyway. You're tired. Don't go. He said, I must go. And he goes out there to serve these little bitty churches, 25, 30, 40, 50. But he said, I've got to go. So he rode the train. This is 1937. He rode the train out there. And on the way, he caught pneumonia. And on January the 1st, 1937, J. Gresham Machen. I went to be with the Lord. And we know his last written words. He wrote out a message for his dear colleague back at Westminster Seminary, Dr. John Murray, who had just written this marvelous treatise on the passive obedience of Jesus that removes all of our sin and the active obedience of Jesus that brings us in triumph into heaven. And he wrote, John, thanks be to God for Christ's active obedience. Without it, there is no hope. But with it is victory. Last breath. See his assurance. See his, now watch, his peace in life and death in Christ. 
Now you're ready to read Romans 5.1. Therefore, because of what Christ has done, he was delivered up because of our sins. He was raised. Now watch. Because of, please look. He was raised because of what? What's the next word? Come on, folks. Hang, act Baptist for a minute. He was raised because of what? Our. He was not raised for his vindication. He was raised for your vindication. Because he is raised, you are right with God. It was and a, and a righteous life, an atoning death, and an affirming, attesting resurrection. All of his people are saved, and he loses not one. There is what, that's why the therefore is therefore. Having been, don't you love, there's the whole reformation. Not maybe will be if somebody gives enough money to John Tetzel. Not maybe if I can bribe a corrupt clergy. Not maybe if I die at the right time in the right presence of somebody. Not maybe if I can get somebody, if I can purge away my sins. No, no. Hear the assurance. Therefore, because of the perfect life, atoning death, attesting resurrection of Christ. Therefore, having been justified. You see, that's what they jumped on Paul about. Paul you're not, you're gonna lose control of Christians if you go ahead and tell them they're saved by grace, by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You gotta kinda hold the carrot out there. You better, you better do what I tell you if you really wanna get to heaven. And Paul says, away with you. The scriptures say, from Abraham, just see it. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. His circumcision was a sign and a seal, not a converting act. He was already converted by the Spirit of God who brought him to the promises of God. And he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He received the righteousness of Christ just like we do. And we are cleared by, he is cleared by his atoning death just like we are. And then what is the blessing? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I went, let me go back to Chattanooga. I don't know why Chattanooga's on my mind, illustrations, but here it is. I got a letter from my daddy. My daddy said, come on over to Charlotte, something I need to tell you. So I came over to Charlotte and my dad said, uh, son, um, <laughs> uh, had a pretty challenging life. Don't know how long I'm going to be around. Here's my last will and testament. I'm making you the executor. And I said, Daddy, I don't want to talk about this. And he said, well, I, we, we're going to talk about it. So I knew we were going to talk about it. So we talked about it. He said, uh, you're going to be the executor, and here's where I want everything to go. Your mother, your sisters, etc. This is the way it's going to be done. Well, Romans 5, 1 through 11 is Paul the lawyer. <laughs> You've just been called into the office. And Paul is giving you the legacies and the inheritance of God's people. 
through the death and resurrection of Christ. Here are your blessings. There are five of them. Harry, what are the five? Come back next week. But I am going to give you the first one. I am going to, may I suggest sometime this week you go into Romans 5, particularly 1 through 5, and see if you can find the five legacy gospel blessings. And I'm going to give you one this morning. And notice how they're given to you. And also, and they build on each other. All five build on each other. You know, I was reminded of a text of Scripture, Ephesians 1-3, as I was reading this. Ephesians 1-3, this is a great, it's called the doxological blessing of Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. It's 228 Greek words, one sentence, arranged in a Trinitarian doxology, and it begins with a doxological praise in verse 3. Verses 1 through 6 is praise to the Father, 7 through 11 is praise to the Son, and 12 and 13 is praise uh, to um, to the Holy Spirit. And as it is unfolding, and you see this glorious statement of doxology, it gives you a clue of what we're doing in, in, chapter, in chapter 1 and verse 3. How blessed, how blessed, not blessed because we don't have the ability to bless. We're not blessed, we're blessed. How blessed is the man. How blessed that every, what does he say to us? That Praise God, blessed be, blessed be God. How blessed is God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, there's your verb, blessed is God, who has blessed us with how many spiritual blessings? Every. A lady came up to me after church one Sunday night, she said, Oh, I enjoyed that, Pastor. I said, yeah, thank you. She said, I, you had the second blessing, didn't you? And I said, yes, ma'am. And I said, come here. This was pre-COVID. I said, come here. We could get close. And I said to her, I got the third one. She said, the third blessing? She said, I hadn't heard about that one. I said, come here. I got the fourth one. She said, whoa. What, what are you talking about? And then I took her to Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. With how many? Every spiritual blessing. My problem is not do I have them. My problem is do I know them and am I using them? And that's my heart pastorally for you. Honestly, I came so close to Ephesians 5, 1 through 11 being one sermon and me having five points of the legacy blessings. But I could not pastorally bring myself to it. I kind of reminded of my friend Henry Osler that talked about the time that a guy went up to heaven and he said to Peter as he got there, uh, Peter's taking him on a tour and, and Peter shows him this warehouse in heaven with all these boxes and that are unopened and he said what's in those boxes and he said peter said you don't want to know he said but i do want to know tell me what's in those boxes peter um 
Peter said, these are blessings of God for his people that were never opened. And he said, uh, Peter, do I have any boxes up here? Blessings of God unopened? He said, you don't want to know. You don't want to know. Here, this is not exhaustive. These are not all the blessings that come to you through the death and resurrection of Jesus. These are not all of them, but there's five crucial ones. And the first one is peace with God. Now notice, he doesn't say peace. He says peace with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. We have it. What? Peace with God. Now that tells you something. Do you know where you were before you were converted and saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and justified in Christ alone? Do you know where you were? You were at war. It wasn't, oh, I just got an empty life and things aren't working out too good. Oh, I'm kind of missing some insights on the law of God and I'm not really kind of embracing all of it. No, our sin were declared acts of war against God. We were his enemies. We were his adversaries. Our sin was a declaration of war. We were guilty of cosmic treason against a thrice holy God to usurp his position as the only one worthy of praise and glory and adoration. We were in the cult of self. With all of its insanity, with all of its absurdity, with all of its immorality. We were at war. And when Christ took hold of your life. Now he may have shown you your need of Christ by showing you the emptiness of the idolatry. But what you were saved from is you were at war with God. And how is that going to turn out? Not good. There's a day called the judgment. But now, you're in the Lamb's book. And you're no longer at war with God. But, by the way, you are still at war. But now, you are at war. Now, follow me. Now, you are at war against what you used to use in war against God. Now our war is against the sin that remains in us. Now our war is against all that arrays itself against God. And now we're at war to rescue the souls of men who are lost in their sin. Men and women and boys and girls that are lost. The very things that we once used in our warfare against God, we're now at peace with God and putting on the armor of Christ and walking with the weapons of the Spirit. We are now at war against what we used to use in war against God himself. We want to kill our sin. We want to kill, we want to kill the sin that arrays itself Every thought that erases itself against the majesty of God. And we want to rescue the perishing. To bring them to Christ. That they may have everlasting life. That's where we are now. 
That's where we, so we are at peace with God, which by the way, means you get something else called the peace of God. Because you have peace with God, you have now have the peace of God. But wait, before I get there, and I'm just about through, so let me just, and I'll give you your takeaway. But before I get there, let me just put it this way. Jesus takes his disciples to the upper room. And you have this extensive time in the Gospel of John from chapter 11 all the way to when they leave the upper room after the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. He puts in the Lord's Supper. He gives them the new commandment. He does. He washes their feet. He does all of these things. But one of the things he's doing is preparing them that he's going to leave. And they're upset about this. He says, don't worry, I must go away and I'll send you the helper, the Holy Spirit. And then, and then he says, uh, and I'm going to prepare. And, and Thomas says, where are you going? I don't have any idea where you're going. We don't even know where you're going. How do we know the way? He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father. He says, don't be, don't be frightened. Do not be frightened. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. Do you know before he ever, when he, after he said that and they were all unsettled, do you know what he then did? He did what my daddy did. He calls them in and he says, let me give you some of the last will and testament. And he looks at him and says, Peace, I leave with you. Here's your legacy. Peace, I leave with you. Not as the world. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives. In the world, you have tribulation. In me, you have peace. Take courage. I've overcome the world. He doesn't say you're going to have peace. No, you're going to be in a war. But the one that you were at war against, you are now reconciled to. You've got peace with God. And you're not only right with God, he's right within you. So you've got the peace of God. Philippians chapter 4, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, make your request known unto God, which is your reasonable, make your request known unto God and let your reasonable spirit be known to men. This, and he says this, and the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. You've got peace with God. It's displayed as you live before humanity with the peace of God. Brothers and sisters, I am pleading. I'm almost ready to get down on my knees to plead with you right now. I, I will. I will. I'm just, I got a little knee replacement problem here and I may not be able to get back up. So consider me on my knees. I'm begging you. Do not let 
the world left and right take you from the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. I am pleading with you. Do not let what the world uses to create the fears and the unrest and the chaos so that you and I live like the world instead of living like Christ in Christ because we don't simply have peace with God. Christ himself is in us and he is our peace. He is our peace. And because Christ is... Remember Isaiah 53? The Prince of Peace who says, Comfort my people. Listen, the Christ that is in you is the one that can convert Nebuchadnezzar's. The Christ in you is the one who will never leave you nor forsake you. The Christ in you is the one who's with you while you're in the world. And in the world you will have tribulation. But take courage. He, the one in you, has overcome the world. So we do not live as the world does. And I beg you to find your comfort and courage and confidence in Christ alone. And have peace with God. And the peace of God. And even the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, and peace. By His grace and for His glory. It's your legacy. And because of Christ's death, you have it now. We don't have to wait till we die to get this. When He died and rose again, it's ours. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And we have Christ himself, who is our peace, standing guard over our heart so that you have the peace of God. So here's the takeaway, and I'll close in prayer. For all who have been justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, we are no longer at war against God with our sin using our sin to war against God. But now we have both peace with God and the peace of God. Yet, with the weapons of the Spirit and the armor of Christ, we now war against Satan, our sin, and we go to war in evangelism for the salvation of the souls of those who are yet under the dominion of sin. We've got peace. When peace, like a river, floweth. When peace fills our heart, because Christ fills our heart. My dear brothers and sisters, here is your legacy. You have right now. Peace with God through the atoning death and the attesting resurrection of Christ. That means you have Christ who is your peace. And that means you have the peace of God. William Randolph Hearst. William Randolph Hearst. I hired a guy. You maybe have heard of William. He's a big publishing magnate. Really invented the newspaper industry pretty much the way we, some of us who are older, remember it long before uh, social media. And he pretty much invented it. And uh, therefore, he made a lot of money. And he, uh, 
And he hired a guy because he was an art collector. He hired a guy and told him, there's one piece of art I don't have. I want you to have it, and I don't care what it costs. Go, get, go find it and buy it. So he put the man, it took the man over, I think it was 18 months. And then he wrote him from Italy and said, um, he said, Mr. Hurst, I've got good news and I've got bad news. He said, what is it? He said, can you give me the good news first? He said, yeah. Here's the good news. The piece that you've been sending me out to found... I found it. Here's the good news. We don't have to buy it. You already own it. He said, what's the bad news? He said, oh, you've owned it, and it's sitting right here in your warehouse in Rome, Italy right now. I just found it underneath a box. There's some of you that are searching everywhere for peace right now. And everything the world's offering you. In the academic world, the entertainment world, the political world, it will not give you peace. But if you come to Christ, if you come to him and surrender and put your trust in him alone, you can have peace with God. And then the Prince of Peace dwells within you by his Spirit, who will produce the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace. And will lead you in a life that is amazing. One day I sat down at a dinner table at a youth camp where I was speaking. And in front of me was a placemat. The placemat was a picture of waterfalls. Thousands of gallons of water violently coming over a cliff. And in the middle of that waterfall was a rock. And the water was diverting around it. And flowing, coming out of the rock was a little tree that was growing. I don't know how, but it was growing. And it had a little fork. And in the fork was a nest. And in the nest were three baby birds and one mother feeding it. And just inches away was the torrents of destruction. Yet they fed and lived in peace. In the world, you have tribulation. In me, you have peace with God and the peace of God. I purchased it at the cross for you. Open the box. Use the blessing. And walk in and for Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moments to be together in your word. I pray that you would speak to the hearts of your people here gloriously, powerfully, and personally. For those who came today searching, may they know today they heard what they were searching for, that peace that they need. It's not found in recreational drugs. It's not found in recreational sex. It's not found in, re in recreational activities. It's not found in achievement. It's not found in acclaim. It's not found in applause. It's not found in influence. It's not found in power. It's not found in possessions. But in Christ alone. Please come to him. If you'd like to pray with someone, there will be people up here. Just make your way to them. Personally and confidentially, they'll pray with you. And Father, may your people... In the midst of a world that is in turmoil, may they see your people who know they have peace with God and who walk in the peace 
of God through Christ, who is their peace, standing guard over their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.